by my co-host Spencer. Spencer, say hey, people. Hey, everybody. Spencer, we are on episode two, part two, as it were, of Obi-Wan Kenobi, the Disney Plus series that you have been just so excited about that you knew all along would be absolutely high quality, good, not mm -hmm. disappoint mm -hmm. you in the least. Spencer, what did you think of part two? You know, I, I'm really impressed that you were just recognized reading behind the lines my passion for the show and confidence in success. It just shows how well you know me. You're able to interpret that from what I said. Eh, I thought it was all right. I thought part two was okay. I, I, <laughs> I, 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 okay, all right. I, well, anyway, podcast done. All right, there we yeah, go. Yeah, I'm I, Star Wars. I, I thought it, we'll be back with you next week for part it three. It has possibly the single most cheerworthy moment in all of the new Star Wars television shows happening in this episode. But it also has some moments where I will say oh. I know what they were going for, but purely from a filmmaking standpoint, I think they could have done it better. So it's that kind of constructive criticism I heard offer in a few points that I thought let the episode down in a few moments. I thought the overall acting was better. I think they, there's a couple things they just need to stop doing, which we talked about last episode and we'll talk about again. But... As we will discuss, the ending of this episode had me hyped in a way I've not felt in years. And I will be excited to discuss that breathing. So, yes, that breathing. So hype. Yeah. So um, I loved it. I thought part two was great. Uh, we do have to talk about a couple, I think, maybe more like larger issues about the show. So the first is um, the success of the show. So holy shit. I can't um, deny that. Yeah. Yeah, it, Disney has said they're still sort of compiling the numbers, trying to get... Because the streaming numbers are weird, because they will try to give you unique views. But in essence, what the, the main metric is, is like total number of streamed hours for the show. Sure. Um, and it's not necessarily comparable to some of the other shows on other platforms as far as total hours streamed, because they're only releasing two episodes and then one episode after. You know, it's not as many base hours for the first week. So you look at something like Stranger Things, I think it was like 287 million streamed hours or something in the first week, but they released the first six episodes or five episodes or something, right? So it's not sure. a one-to-one. -one. But they have said that it is the most successful show in Disney Plus history. So more successful than anything Marvel has done, more successful than any of the Mandalorian uh, seasons. So that is not uh, what? Yeah, it, it is huge, apparently. Uh, I think it's taken Disney by a little bit of surprise exactly how big it is. Um, they have now taken to marketing it as their flagship show. If you go on to Disney Plus app, it is present in the home screen. No matter who you are or what you watch, you will see Kenobi in the home screen because it's now, I guess, their big flagship show, even though it is a six-part miniseries. Uh, so very, very successful. And I famously, I'm, you know, I'm not going to call myself brilliant, but I am fairly smart, uh, did say it would be very, very successful because of how I felt like it was accessible to the average viewer. How it is, if you have watched the movies, just even casual watching of the movies, a very quick recap will tell you exactly where in the storyline this is. You know the, the, the people, you know Luke, Leia, you know uh, Obi-Wan Kenobi, you know Anakin. It's an easy story to jump into. I mean, my my wife, like when we first started watching Book of Boba Fett, I've talked about it on this podcast before, how my wife is sort of the um, example case for me of a casual Star Wars fan, which casual Star Wars fan makes no sense in my brain. Like I just, I just completely, <laughs> like I don't even understand that. My but category that's what of Star Wars is. fan makes no sense to you. I can't imagine a casual Star Wars fan. Yeah, it's the, I don't even, I don't understand critical, much less casual. And she 
when we first started watching Book of Boba Fett, I could tell was a little confused, was asking me questions, playing with her phone. This, we turned episode one on, she watched the recap, she was locked in from the start, and I think that's probably why it's doing bigger numbers. Spencer, what'd you think? Well, I, I'm amazed by it. Frankly, I'm caught off guard. I thought this would be successful. I thought, like you said, it had name recognition, it had brand recognition, it had very recognizable actors coming back, and I also thought it would bring some of the critical fandom also back just because of the very lately heightened nostalgia for the prequels that really wasn't there before. Woo! Yes! Uh, Shout so, out! That makes me so happy. I, I think all that came to bear to make an incredibly successful show. My question to ask, though, is that you said pointedly last time we talked that this was a six-episode run, that's yeah. all they're going to do for this, that's all yeah. they got Ewan McGregor back for, and they're not going to do anything else with it. And I kind of you know, poked that, like, well, you know, maybe it makes good numbers, maybe they'll be persuaded... With these numbers, with this brand, with this success, with this marketing they're not putting forward, what are your odds? Have they changed about whether they are going to ponder doing more Obi-Wan in the future beyond these six episodes? Well, we all know that I'm a Lucasfilm insider. Uh, yes, and then I do know so. Kathleen Kennedy really well. I know John Favreau really well. Everybody knows mm -hmm, this about mm -hmm, me. Mm -hmm. uh, I really roll in high, very important circles, Spencer. On the board, um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, so let me offer an educated guess. Um, I don't think they're going to do any more Kenobi because I don't think narratively it makes a lot of sense. I mean, they're going to tell a tight, I mean, because there's only so much they can tell about his time between episode three and episode four because of where we see him in episode four and how we pick him back up. Mm -hmm. Now I could see because of the success of this show, the love of the prequels, how a lot more people are getting into Clone Wars, how a lot more people have a positive view of what Ewan McGregor and Hayden Christensen did. Um, in the episode one, two, and three, specifically two and three, I could see, this is just my guess, educated guess, them doing a Darth Vader series where they, they follow Vader's time that between be episode three and episode four. And that they could do multiple seasons of because in new canon, there is a lot that he could conceivably have done, right? Because he's got to, A, he's got to get to health and some, at least some sort of like stabled condition. Mm -hmm. um, he starts ruling alongside the galaxy with Emperor Palpatine. He's he's traveling all over. The, I mean, the comics do cover this period, and they talk about how he's doing a lot of shit during this time because he's helping the Emperor consolidate his power, tighten things up around the galaxy. So they could do a Vader series that could be multiple seasons, I think. And then you wouldn't need Ewan McGregor. You'd only need Hayden Christensen. They basically have a 20-year period to work with between... Yeah. The, the, the end of episode three and the beginning of episode four. Right now, Obi-Wan's basically taking place at almost like the exact middle point of that. It's been, they said it's been 10 years, basically, since ten. he last... And it's basically 10 years from there to episode four. You got it. It's a, it's a lot of material to work with. It's even a lot of material to potentially work with with Obi-Wan of the next 10 years after this, potentially. But getting Ewan McGregor to invest into another Star Wars material? Uncertain. I was surprised enough that he even came back, honestly. Yeah, I mean, I, I honestly think narratively it makes a lot of sense for whatever this story is for him to go back to Tatooine and pretty much stay there because we know he was a hermit when we picked him back up in episode True. four. He hadn't been going around the galaxy. He had been in Tatooine for a long period of time. So I think it makes sense to do these six episodes, let them stay. But I will say, if they, did, they go that route and they do a Vader series of Darth Vader's time between episode three and episode four... I mean, I honestly think that would do bigger numbers because as popular as Obi-Wan is and as popular as this time period is, Darth Vader is 
might be the most popular known character in the entire series, right? And so yeah. if they do a specifically Darth Vader series with Hayden Christensen aboard for multiple seasons, look the fuck out. I think that would do big. You, as an utter lover of Grogu, would you still agree that Darth Vader is even more iconic in terms of a Star Wars emblem than Grogu? Yeah, for sure. Iconic as far as just an image. I mean, if you have one image of Star Wars, it's got to be Darth Vader in that suit, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I think so, for sure. I mean, maybe that'll change if if Mandalorian goes five seasons and, like, in 20 years, people are less invested in episode four, five, and six as they are the new material. That might be the case, but right now... I think it's still Darth Vader in that fucking suit and that breathing and James Earl Jones' voice. I agree. Fundamentally. Awesome. But uh, the second thing that we have to discuss here is um, you, um, toxic man that you are, Absolutely. on the first episode, said how much you really hated the character of Reva. You led the charge of all of the people online doing all of the really negative okay. things that we've heard about. Let, let's and I just want to give you a chance to apologize. <laughs> You are offering me an opportunity to apologize. You've assembled the press yeah. room. You've just mm-hmm. pushed me in front of the mic and you're giving me the yep. floor. Would you I like got to apologize? Shit to, to apologize everyone. for. If you I, think I'm apologize. Absolutely not. No, this is a, this is a circumstance of where I had, I think, reasonable complaints with respect to either her acting or how she was the stage directions that she was given. It is very unfortunate that Disney and the actress and numerous other people have now had the need to come forward to defend her on the basis of the cavalcade, mountain slide of just abuse that she's getting for entirely irrelevant reasons. It's like, we have had black people in Star Wars since Billy D. Williams. Why are people still making this their <laughs> hill to die on? <laughs> hey, princess. Billy D. Williams is the best. Look, um, I defended her in the first episode, so shout out to me because... I said I thought she was written annoyingly. You made a pretty cogent point, I thought, which was ultimately it doesn't matter if she's written annoying or if she's just acting it annoying. You are still annoyed. Yes. Which I thought was a good point. Going online and bashing the actress, doing being racist, and I'm going to say they, the, the comments that I read, there were a lot of racist comments, but I will also say that I think a lot of this is sexist as well. I don't think that a lot of the Star Wars universe likes when a non-Leia person, uh, a non-Leia woman, is a sinner character, especially a woman who can wield the Force and has power. We saw a lot of this uh, in Episode 6, 7, 8, or 7, 8, 9 with Rey, Hmm. where people really push back on the idea. And and you heard a lot of the, the sort of like keyboard clatter online of... Oh well, this is like Disney affirmative action, letting a sure. woman to, so they can sell blah 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 blah. You know all of the cynical crap that we do. But everything we know in the Star Wars universe is that women can tap into the Force at the same sure. uh, same so level, different. same percentages, same everything as men. It's not the being Force sensitive is not a male only characteristic. However much neck beards online would like it to be. Now mm-hmm. I don't want to like diminish the racism because that is particularly in Sepid and Evil here, but like I do think some of it is also sexist. And when you have a black woman in a position of power in Star Wars, a lot of these a lot of these assholes got really upset about it. Uh only thing we have to say to those people here at Mangum Talk Star Wars is two big old middle fingers. Fuck you. You do not represent the Star Wars universe. Uh, the vast, vast majority of people who watch this show are not online bitching and complaining about it. And I would say that probably the vast majority of people get that you're not supposed to like the character. She's a wrestling heel. They don't like her. They move on with the show. And that's what you're supposed to do. 
Yeah. And, and, and as we'll discuss in this episode, I think there is a distinction between not necessarily liking... Well, obviously there's a distinction between not liking the character and any of your opinions about the actress, particularly outside of the role. That should be never... There should be never any debate on that point. Also, there should be points of making... Even if you don't like how the character's portrayed or even think you should do better, never attack the actress for that shit. Why? Why do that? They're just doing nah. a job the way anybody should. I think a lot of people online, like, because the first thing I get when I go on these spiels is, well, you can't tell me I can't critique things and I can critique what, look, free, freedom of speech doesn't mean lack of freedom of consequences, right? Like, you sure. there, you still you still have consequences for what you say and what you do. And the consequences on this podcast is I'm going to tell you to fuck yourself. I think it's stupid to ruin like the, the the cultural narrative about this show, which is so great and so positive and so fun and getting everybody back and getting some casuals back into the Star Wars universe. I think it's mm -hmm. like we're starting to do movie numbers now. It's not just that select sliver group of people who would be into something like The Mandalorian. They're back doing like the big numbers that the movies were doing, getting everybody back into the Star Wars universe. Let's not ruin it with something so stupid. That's all I have to say about that. Spencer, you? Nope. Damn straight. All right, let's get into part two of Kenobi. Is it Obi-Wan Kenobi, Obi-Wan, or Kenobi? I think it is Obi-Wan Kenobi, and I think literally the name of this episode is just part two. Part two. Which... Yeah, I know part. I know the parts, but I always get confused on the name. All right, Obi-Wan Kenobi part two. Okay, they do a recap. We uh, Here uh, on Magnum Talk Star Wars, when we review these episodes, we typically do a recap. Then we go into our segments. We do best line of the episode. I am emperor of that segment. I and I alone award best line of the episode. We do nostalgic moment of the episode. And then we typically, as a sort of reference point or talking point, we try to decide, is this the same quality as a standard Mandalorian episode? I don't know if I like that barometer for this show. doesn't work. Spencer, would you be okay with that? With Is this on a level with the prequels? Could we have that discussion? <laughs> From your perspective on the prequels or my perspective on the prequels? Well, either one, right? Because either I think one. that's a sure. better comparison point it for is. this show it, than Mandalorian. It is, I agree. Um, okay. All right. Well, the, with that, let's get into the recap. We start with a recap of part one and a heavy focus on Leia. Not a surprise. Then we get into the action. Obi-Wan gets to this planet, which we don't know the name of, right, to start with. I don't believe. Yeah, we, but we, we learn it because he asks someone on the street for help. And the person says, uh, you're in Dayu um, now. And apparently, like, signals are blocked going in and out. This is, like, some sort of, like, heavily crime-riddled planet it, it, where it's it, hard to find people and it's hard to get messages in and out of the planet. This looks like they, they took uh, a set that they built for, like, Blade Runner or maybe certain scenes in Rogue One and are reusing it. It is that classic grunge, yeah. dirty, always raining industrial setting. It's, it's Star Wars Tokyo. Like, it, it kind of <laughs> looks like Tokyo. Bad streets of Tokyo, yes. Yeah, it kind of does. Um, he um, So Obi-Wan is kind of lost when he first gets there. Um, and at some point he says to himself, Master, if I ever needed your guidance, it is now. So we have got that now two episodes in a row. Him calling out for Qui-Gon Jinn. He did it after his PTSD, PTSD dream in episode one. And he's doing it now when he is lost on Dayu. Spencer, I'm just going to ask for it now. Give us our prediction. Are we going to get Qui-Gon Jinn? Are we going to get a Force Ghost, a Vision, a something Qui-Gon Jinn in this series? I don't think we'll get a Force Ghost. Uh, well, huh, I'll rephrase. I don't think they were able, they're able to bring Liam Neeson back for this. I don't think they're going to bring him fresh 
to, to play Qui-Gon Jinn again. Whether they repurpose some images of him, whether they play some voice of him, like, you know, Obi-Wan in the, in the Death Star Trench kind of style, I think that's more likely than not. But I don't think they I don't think they've got the actor back on the sh- back on the show. Okay. Um, because he was asked recently about this and he very clearly said he could yeah. not comment on if he was in the new show. However, in the future, he would much prefer movies. Liam Neeson, <laughs> movie snob. Doesn't like the small screen. I, I don't think they got him back for this, but I could be wrong. It would be a very exciting surprise if they do. I, I liked him quite a bit in Phantom Menace. I think they've got a surprise coming. I don't think it's just, you know, Hayden Christensen and Ewan McGregor. I, don't, I, I, I think they've got something up their sleeve. Is it Mace Windu comes back? No hands? No hands Windu? <laughs> Is it Yoda? Is it... Emperor Palpatine, maybe. Uh, maybe they got, what is that guy's name? Ian, whatever his name is. Maybe they got it. He's very much still alive. They could have gotten uh, uh, Emperor Palpatine. But I think they've got another character that we know coming, some sort of surprise. That's my guess. As we said last episode, I actually hope it isn't Yoda. I don't think that would work with the established canon. I think it would involve changing too much. But everybody else you mentioned is at least possible. Mace Windu, Unless, I always prefer whether he's dead, just so it can't be the very superhero thing of, you didn't see him die on impact, he must still be alive, but who knows. I would prefer Mace Windu to be dead, too. I know Sam Jackson's been lobbying to come back to the Star Wars universe. It would be kind of cool, I guess, but I, just narratively, I'd okay. like it if he died. The thing that would make sense with Yoda is if Kenobi finished whatever he's doing, the dropping Leia off, the fight with Vader, whatever it is, and he's he, he before going back to Tatooine in the last episode, he stops at Dagobah to talk to Yoda about how to commune with Qui-Gon. That, to me, would make sense. Does Obi-Wan know that Yoda's on Dagobah? We don't know. Um, I mean, they could they could, they could, could write that in, that Yoda tells him. Or, I mean, he could figure it out. But I think, because, you know, obviously, Yoda told him, I'll teach you how to talk to your old master. Obviously, yeah. Obi-Wan is obsessing about this. He wants to do it. It would make sense if he reached out to Yoda. I'm honestly still annoyed enough that Bail Organa apparently knew the exact postal mailing code that Obi-Wan was at. I'd find That's it a tough. little bit annoying if Yoda, if Obi-Wan also knows where Yoda is. Because that just seems to be inviting problems if each of the surviving Jedi know exactly where each other are when Inquisitors are out there hunting them. But again, maybe they can explain sir, it. Sir, sir, each of the, sur- sir, Obi-Wan is not just your standard average Jedi. He could have told Obi-Wan and no one else, and I think dude, that would be reasonable. I'm referring to Obi-Wan as a dude on the street in this scenario, and I think that in some way fits a bit of how they're looking at him this episode. A lot of the other characters are looking at him. He then run. this is one of my favorite parts of the episode. Oh my God, this is good. He runs across a clone, and the clone is acted by the guy who acts as Django Fett it's in the prequel. Yes. It's the clone uh, dude. That is so fucking good. Yeah. Um, and he says, help a veteran get a warm meal. Now, Obi-Wan clearly feels some kind of way about looking at this clone, right? Because he went to the clone planet, uh, Kaminu, and he mm-hmm. got the clone army to bring back, to fight with the uh, the New Republic, or the, the Republic, um, uh, against the Trade Federation, against Count Dooku, General Grievous, that whole crew. And then they turned on him, executed the 66, and then mm-hmm. they killed a bunch of Jedi. So he's got to feel all kinds of feelings looking at this clone. He does not lash out. He does not act out. He simply gives him a little bit of money, which Obi-Wan doesn't have a ton of money on him um, for this guy to get a meal. Now, one thing to remember when you're looking at this clone is that the clones very famously age twice 
the age, uh, twice the rate of a normal human. So if he looks like particularly old, considering how Django Fett looked like 10 years ago, uh, that's why. Because he ages, mm-hmm. they, the clones age really fast. And that explains why when you get to episode four, five, six, they're all dead. Because even the survivors will have will have aged so fast that they they died quickly. Yeah, even by this period, the storm, the transition between mainline just recruited and drafted or volunteered stormtroopers and clones is already started to shift heavily in favor of the new line stormtroopers as compared to the old. Yeah, were you surprised to see so many stormtroopers in this episode? I. Yes, but I was happy to see it by the end. I liked that show of force. I liked that the Inquisitors had those resources to be, to bring to bear for an operation like this. I felt that was really authentic. Yeah. Uh, a spice seller comes up to Obi-Wan trying to peddle a little spice. And um, you you talked about in the last series, Book of Boba Fett, you wanted to see, like, if spice is really a drug, you wanted to see it, damn it. You wanted to see it be a drug. Well, here you go. You got somebody got peddling it on I... the street. I got it. I got peddlers on the street. I got free samples to try to get people to be addicts. I got using it as basically an offensive weapon to get people hooked out, to get people knocked out. I got the drug stuff I wanted this episode. You got a spice lab that he walks into, I, a little Breaking a Bad style, lab. Breaking I Bad Star it. Wars mix. Yeah. yeah, it was interesting. I, I I have to eat some crow on this point. I was saying that that Boba Fett being so anti-drug and then be and them adopting a very anti-drug cause from a guy who's supposed to be effectively a mob boss. Felt unrealistic and like Disney kind of making a very parental guidance kind of statement about what's appropriate in Star Wars. I gotta eat crow. Obi-Wan's got drug stuff thrown front and center throughout a significant portion of this episode. And I feel like, particularly given the underbelly he's operating in, made it feel a lot more authentic. Yeah, I don't think they're they they're scared of the drug stuff. I think that they were trying to create a character that you you weren't buying. Um but they, it was purposeful, you just didn't like it. Um, and that was the book of Boba Fett. Um, mm-hmm. So the spice filler comes up to Obi-Wan. He says something about, I'm looking for my daughter. She says, uh, if she's here, you're never going to see her again. No one ever leaves this place. I was someone's daughter once. And she does give him one on the house. If you've ever, um, Spencer, you big drug guy. Free sample. You've probably, you've been to a lot of drug dealers. Oh, uh, you do occasionally get a sample. If it's a drug you never tried before, you do occasionally get a sample. Mm-hmm. Uh, then some kid comes up and offers to take him to a Jedi. I say, what? A Jedi. So open on the street? What is this? This makes no sense. Then then we see someone that we... It's been teased as in the show. We saw him in the trailer. Kamal Namaji. Holy shit. Uh, our guy. I love this actor. Um, I think he's a, just a hilarious person. Have you ever seen The Big Sick, the movie he did? I have, yeah. Ah, oh, man. He is, he is a brilliant he, guy. He's very funny. Very clever. Uh, very clever. What are you, British? <laughs> In many ways, yes. <laughs> Dressed in Jedi-ish robes. Ish. Yeah, yeah. And he is, I got it in heavy air quotes, helping a family. He, uh, he seems he to. legitimately helping them. We have no reason to believe he, other than misleading them about who he is and how he's arranging this, is getting them passage off world. That is help. Let's just accept that from the start. Nah. Yeah, okay. Um, I mean... It, I'm not like, here's the thing. I'm not super impressed by this because he's, he's providing a service that like, I'm sure on this planet, a lot of people provide passage off world. Like it's not like passage off world is not like, oh my God, he's the only person on this fucking planet who can give you passage off world. He is, he's getting their buy-in through this Jedi ruse. Like that's how he's able to command a heavier salary 
and get more clientele than other people who are getting people off world. So like he's not like his, you know, I don't know how altruistic he really is. There's an implication that he's doing this in a way that isn't going to leave like a paper trail. And that may not be as easy to get. Now, he seems to be doing this under the idea that the kid is force sensitive. And that's part of the way he's getting him off world. Which, if he's lying to them about the fact the kid's force sensitive, fuck that, dude. Of course he is. If if he arranged it from that kind of level, fuck that guy. That's evil incarnate. Um, Of course he is. You can tell the mother... You can tell them that's how they wrote this man because you can tell the mother is like some sort of Jedi lack like oh my god like I love the Jedi fanboy she yes. trusts them she's excited that her kid might be force sensitive she's telling him the force is strong with you she's bought into this whole thing I think it was a complete ruse to begin with but um, it's possible yeah it's possible. very 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 carny here he seems to force pull a receiver into his hand then does a Jedi mind trick that does get air quotes and I don't want any darn feedback yeah. from you on the person he's talking to convincing them. Uh, to give the passage family to Corellia, planet that we've we've classic, very much is in canon, world. very much in in Star Wars canon. He mentions uh, he ends with "I am now leaving your mind," and like when that like I think that we it's a slow build to understand this guy's a carny act for the average viewer. I mean, I I I picked up yeah, on it very fast. I'm sure you did too. I think for the the person who's kind of checking their phone, not really paying attention, it's not until he says I am now leaving your mind that I think everyone now is on board. This guy's not well, a Jedi, right? If there was any further doubt, Obi-Wan is there in the room watching this from the shadows and if Ewan McGregor could roll his eyes any farther, I think he might actually hurt himself just in terms of how he's responding to this very much fabrication that's being offered in front of this poor lady. Family leaves and Obi-Wan approaches Kamal. Kamal is immediately intimidated by Obi-Wan. Obi-Wan calls bullshit. A girl's been kidnapped. I need your help to find her. I am Hajashtri. I help all I can. I ask only for a few credits in return. Few credits, Spencer. 500. Few credits. 500. 500, 800 for additional detail. 1,000 if you want me to show you some tricks. You know, yeah. Fair deal. You always follow like the money, like the, the the relative money amounts in these shows pretty well as we go through them. Did you get did you cringe as much as I did when he said five hundred? A little bit, yeah. Yeah, that was a lot. And then he says a thousand if you want me to show you the force, which you just mentioned, and Obi Wan then calls out that he's using magnets and is a complete fucking carny. And uh Obi Wan then says, Look, here's the deal. Uh, you're going to help me find the girl. And Kamal very fast, or Haja, Haja I should say now. Uh, Haja says very fast, yeah, I'll do it. Question for you. That was very fast. Was there an implication that there might have been a little, that, that Obi-Wan might have been doing a little Jedi mind tricking himself there with the guy? I kind of thought so, but the episode makes a big deal later that he hasn't used the Force in a while and that he may have lost his connection to a certain degree. So I don't know for sure. And I got to say that my response to this guy was basically nonstop distrust until really late in the episode. So I think that's what it's supposed to be. I, I, could, I couldn't know for sure what was driving this, but it, it was surprising how quickly he just went, sure, other than just assume he's a rank coward. So I think that we're... Sp- I think there's supposed to be the ambiguity at this point in the episode on how, why he agreed so fast. I think that there's a reveal later in the episode that makes us revisit the scene and go, Oh, it, it probably really was him. It probably wasn't Obi-Wan pro- fucking probably with Probably was him. And he probably is actually not necessary. Though he is a criminal and though he may be a fraudster, he does appear to have a special place in his heart for the Jedi and their cause. And that seems to be driving a lot of the decisions he makes. 
Imitation is the highest form of flattery. Isn't that what it, they say? It is true. It's also <laughs> suicidal under the, in this setting right now. Uh, Hajaj goes on to tell him uh, he can find the girl in the sewers. I'll, I'll find her. I can I can get her. I can do it. I got you. Qu- um, question. Yeah. Why Why the sewers? I thought when he originally said the sewers, he meant metaphorically. Why did... How does Obi-Wan know where Leia is? Is it ever told to us? No. Um, I, I I, mean, I, my my guess is that um, Obi-Wan has um, observed people um, on this planet so far and realizes that, thing, that the, the, the shady shit is going on underground. And so he's just making a guess that, like, if I'm going to go find her, I'm going to find the mob boss, or I'm going to find whatever, it's got to be underground. I don't know. That That's the best I've got. I would have preferred that was explained to a certain degree because it's a planet. He just lands at a starport and he seems to pretty quickly, without a clear source of information, just find the door that leads to the cell where she is. I don't know if it's a plot hole or they're just accepting us to you know assign details off screen, but it felt a little bit weird. He just so quickly honed in on it. Yeah, I mean, I I don't I don't feel like we got a one for one on screen for how long he was on this planet. Like I don't. I didn't get that impression. I think he did a lot more searching than what we we see, but I mean, we only have forty minutes with the guy. Um, my 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 supposition is that he'd been looking around for a while. Obi Wan wow. then goes outside and sees a Tostonian speaking. Thank you, subtitles. And Obi Wan decides to take off toward it. I think maybe that's how he finds the door that you're talking about here, because he he hears the Tostonian speaking, and the the Tostonian has. Uh, if you look at the subtitles. Um, it, it made some like comment about I can't remember I didn't write it down exactly but it was enough it was enough of a thread for Obi Wan to pull on. That, that was my assumption. There was something said by that guy that gave him enough of a hint that he honed in on that door. Because otherwise, previously it seems like he's flying blind. Bail Organa gave him the planet and where to go, but otherwise we didn't see a clear source of information. Other than that one scene, he focuses it on right there. Obi then goes to a spice lab and ups the temp Straight on one of the lab. burners. Yeah, it's just a hundred percent a meth lab. Uh, Spencer, who you know, continues to disparage Disney, saying Disney has no guts in making these shows. Um, I already ate crow. Let me <laughs> let, 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 let me escape with some dignity intact that put I did the, that. They put the middle finger right up to you in this one because they did that little Breaking Bad crossover. He puts the he puts the like drug suit on. You know, he's got yep. the. Um, I mean, he looks like Walter White here, um, and he ups the temp on one of the burners. It explodes explodes the beaker. And uh, that gives him cover to enter past the lab, down the hall. Lab worker asks him where he's going. Obi claims he's lost his way. He gets his get back to work, swings on Obi-Wan. They get in a fight. I Here's the thing. I've seen a lot of people online complaining about like the staging of the fight scenes and like it doesn't look good. It's it, Guys, it's not supposed to look good. He hasn't fought in 10 years. He, like, it's, I thought this was brilliantly done, personally. Like, the way he, like very robotically is like lifting up his arm like and putting it in front of him in an effort to like establish position and every move is slow and mechanical and like labored that's i think how you'd look after 10 years of not fighting and you're trying to dust the cobwebs off in the moment so i thought this was actually extremely well done not not sloppy like a lot of people thought I'm with you. I think it's got an in-store reason for it. This is one of several moments that I think they could have set up better if we either got something of a hint or something of a suggestion in the first episode or an extra episode inserted between this of where I think it's fine in the moment. I think it just from a filmmaking or storytelling standpoint should have been set up better so it just doesn't suddenly arrive in this fight as the first kind of indication that Obi-Wan is kind of off his game. 
We've got reason to believe that, but I think just from a pure filmmaking standpoint, they could have set it up a little bit better earlier so that people wouldn't be as jarred by how this fight looks awkward, but there's, an, there's a reason for that. But we know he's off his game. They've, they've spent a lot of time explaining that he's off his game. Not really. Not really. Honestly, we have, this is the first what? moments we get right here. Of, like, a few minutes from now, we're going to get the first indication, you can't even use the Force anymore. We had no reason to expect that before, the, before that moment. You, you're, 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 you're just a man now. You don't have Jedi powers. We had no reason. Nothing we've seen in the show yet. Well, first off, that's not true. Not. That's just Flea talking. And he says, I'm not the man I used to be. Like, I have been here 10 years working show in these fucking contractors. Show they do. don't tell. He just said they just it did. out loud. This is our first moment seeing it. I'm saying they could have set it up better previously. It, this, is, this is, again... I wish we'd spent a little bit more time with the bit lead up to what apparently is the mainline plot of the show so that some of these threads can feel a little bit more natural rather than just seeing in the moment and people being justified, I think, and thinking, well, is that intentionally awkward or just awkward filmmaking? Set up your points if they're going to be key, key kind of... Well, how, let me character. ask you this. How could they have set up, in your mind, more clearly that Obi-Wan is not the same Jedi, not the same fighter, hasn't fought in 10 years? What could they have done to show you that before this fight scene? Example, we, we saw we saw Obi Wan working in that uh, meat that meat packing pl- facility. We saw workers getting abused. If we'd seen some scene of Obi Wan actually trying to stand up, be it using the Force, whatever else, and getting his ass handed to them, that's the way you can already organically set up. Because we saw him feel tense about that. We saw him feel awkward about it. Maybe the first time he sees it, he just kind of sits on it. Maybe the next time after that Jedi died, he feels the need to stand up, but he gets his ass handed to them. And then we go from there to the scene with Bail Organa. We've got a direct scene of Obi Wan not being on his game and knowing and seeing more clearly where he's not even physically the Obi-Wan that we remember to then better set up these moments on the mission of where he isn't capable of what he was previously able to. Yeah, I, I don't think that would have... I mean, I see what you're saying, but I don't think that would have worked because then people would have said, how does he go from getting his ass kicked by a day laborer to beating up two guys with no problem and then... Uh, presumably fighting Anakin Skywalker in later episodes. Per- so he can't appear too weak. Arc. He's got to appear. He's got to. Uh, well, that's what they're showing you now. I think, I think they are showing you progression. They're showing he's rusty. He can still fight, but it's 10 years of rust. And so there's some rust that you're seeing on screen and that he, he likely will get better as we go on. And then he builds up to the last fight with Vader, which I think they've already teased enough that I don't even feel like is a spoiler, but I mean, I, I I guess I, I guess I get your point. I don't know. I just felt like they've done a very good job of explaining, I, like, I, the guy's been I, a hermit for 10 years. He's struggling to remember how to do this stuff, and this is him kind of relearning on the fly a little bit. This is, again, me just wanting more. I, I know they have to kind of streamline this because they're only doing six episodes, but I think they could have done 10 with the material they're working with, and we would have gotten a little bit more detail on these points to make them feel a bit more natural for me. But I also don't share really the well, I'm not going to argue people. that point with you. not going to argue also, that point. I would have liked him to. I, I don't know why they keep doing six for these shows. I think they'd be better off if they take a little bit more of their time with them. But I guess they're trying to make a lot of different shows, and that's kind of cutting into their budget for what they can, for how much they can do with each one. I also don't really share a lot of the criticism about the fight scenes. The chase scenes, we're going to talk about in a bit. Yeah, the, the chase scenes, scenes I thought were okay. So uh, I will say that I'm not sure that they're only doing... I, I'm not sure they're only doing six episodes because lack of budget, lack of time, whatever. I, you know, um, Amazon very famously now is doing eight episodes of all of new all new shows because their focus groups have shown that people's attention spans start to break on seasons after about eight episodes and so 
Uh, well, I, know, I mean, I, I know. you're shaking your head no, and of course, I mean, we do we do a podcast about television, right? So we're we're not necessarily <laughs> the right right folks, I'm, right? But I'm not my, denying my, they've but, said it. Well, let me finish the point though. I I wonder if if Disney is saying, hey, when we do a small series like this, we need to tell discrete stories and we're trying to keep the attention of kids, of teenagers, of people who are casual fans of the Star Wars. We're trying to do this big umbrella tent that Star Wars has always been able to do so well. Um, And so maybe we don't need to have these things last for 15, 20 episodes, whatever. How many episodes do Clone Wars have in a season? Was it like 35 or something ridiculous? Yeah, but that that started before Disney took over, and it started before uh, uh, they start like that was back when twenty twenty five episodes was standard in because I mean this th- that shit was like early two thousands when that started. I, I, I miss the early two thousands nineties eighties like thirty episode seasons. It gives you time to actually appreciate and see the world. I know this is the trend now. Basically, just make movies. Basically, just tell a movie a three movie length story in your television show. I hate it. I really am getting annoyed by it. I think it's making it's 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 hurting the actual storytelling for a television format. But I get that it's the trend nowadays. Yeah. Well, fair. I mean, you know, I would say that maybe, um, you know, they they this is akin more akin to a movie. But, you know, I'm not sure that I would look at Book of Boba Fett as six episodes or Mandalorian as eight eight episodes or whatever because that story is continuing to build on itself. The stories are overlapping. Like it's it like I think what and with Ahsoka, <laughs> more seasons of Mandalorian, another season of Book of Boba Fett, you it will be kind of like you got 25, 30 episodes eventually of this whole world. Um, it's just that they the the way they roll it out maybe isn't like what we were used to as far as one long season. That's only true if they end up coming back to them. And as you just said, they're not planning on returning to Obi Wan. Well, but I I I took Obi Wan out of that when I started because I said this is to I think they're trying to make this more akin to a movie and how they're t- they're doing the story and that is what you just said you hated. <laughs> um, and that's fair. That's a, that's fair. We're here to give opinions. Uh, Obi Wan claims. Uh, well, Obi-Wan walks further. He opens a door. He sees what looks like a little girl covered in a cloth. He says, Leia, walks up to her. It's not Leia. Flay, flee. Some of his guys come in, subdue Obi-Wan, says, this is interesting. I didn't know a Jedi could bleed. I'm surprised you fell for it. I figured you'd be smarter than to risk everything for a spoiled little brat. I think that's a lot in that, in that uh, quote because the Jedi have presumably been out of the mainstream or at least the threat i mean they weren't really in mainstream before at least the the threat of them being around has been gone for 10 years and so the lore of the jedi probably is building among the casual folks right this idea they can't bleed like that that i mean you could see how yeah you can see how people would like spin out and like have some detail like that that they just cook up out of thin air which we know is absolutely preposterous Mm -hmm. um he then tells him he says you can't you're just a, you're just a man you can't use the force anymore something along those lines well yeah um he says um you're not a jedi anymore you're just a man yeah uh, um i don't which, he didn't say you can't use the force anymore i think that might have been headcanon for spencer well it, it's an implication it also the only way these guys are surviving in this room is if obi-wan can't use the force otherwise this is the dumbest goddamn plan ever because it if Obi-Wan could use the Force, he's just going to mind control these dudes and walk back out of the room. 
do we think that the guy the guy just said i can't i I, i'm shocked that a jedi could bleed do we think he has a real firm understanding of what jedi can and cannot do well if so you got set up entirely for failure by the inquisitor reva which is perfectly possible but if her plan is hinging on the idea that these guys can either capture him or hold him in place it seems to be at least working under the assumption that obi-wan doesn't have the same command of the force they used to otherwise these guys should impose no obstacle at all they seem so I to think, be implying with some later scenes that he has not been using the Force and his connection with the Force has, has diminished from atrophy. So I, I think that Riva very much set them up to fail, doesn't give a fuck, and explicitly says it later in the episode when she says, tell all the bounty hunters to go get Obi-Wan. Go get and he's yeah. like, do you think they can get Do you think they can get him? And then she's like, nah, nah, but you'll, you'll squeeze him out to me. And I felt like that was telling for what we're seeing in this scene, right? Because um, in essence, I don't think that she ever really thought like, well, the flea and them are going to like get this guy because she's watching very closely for them to get close to him, for her to come in and attack, which we get to and which she does. I agree that is the case later. And I agree it would be perfectly in character for her to just set up countless minions for failure. However, she pointedly goes to the exact room, opens the exact door, and then looks exactly annoyed that her three henchmen have been knocked out, as if surprised that Obi-Wan's not in there. So let's keep track of that being also a scene that we get here in a minute. Yeah, I mean, you know, I don't, I'm only, I'm only pushing on it because I didn't get the impression that he couldn't use the Force. I got the impression that he hasn't, and he had to, he had to figure it out later. And um I, I, good I, I think i don't think those are ex- i don't i think we're kind of saying the same thing in different ways uh well maybe uh he, she he then hits him and uh says the inquisitor really figured you out she'll be here soon and then we'll all be rich and you'll be dead and i like the i like the use of she then we know that reva's the one uh mm-hmm. that got these guys Third he then says kenobi uh, kenobi isn't getting out of there anymore because he, he says something like where's the where's the girl Where's Leia or something? And he's like, it doesn't matter where she is. You're not getting out of here. You're not a Jedi anymore. You're just a man. That's the that's the piece that you thought what they were they were angling toward. Like, eh, maybe he they think he doesn't use the Force anymore. That coupled um, with the later season with Leia, later scene with Leia falling, falling. But we'll see that in a minute. Yeah, I I I I think my 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 take from that was him saying the Jedi are dead. You you don't have the apparatus of power anymore. You don't have your lightsaber. You don't have all this stuff. That's kind of how I took it. Obi Wan then drops the spice, exploding it into the sky. He decides to do this analog. He doesn't need the force. Damn it! He puts on the gas mask and escapes. Obi Wan then opens the door and promptly gets kicked in the shins. Little Leia is freaking out on him. Obi Wan says, "Your father sent me." Damn it! Calm down. Calm down. She doesn't immediately trust him, but Obi Wan makes the cogent point: Would you rather stay here? What's your other option? Which Obi Wan gets flipped on him later in the episode. Yeah. Leia at one point gives us a speech about trust and how we should trust people. She spends about the next 20 minutes doing everything in her power to doubt Obi-Wan at every possible turn. Yeah, well, you know, you can't you can't blame the, her I, I for don't. being... I don't being at all. ...not very distressful, but uh, it is funny how later on in, this, in the episode she kind of does flip that on its head. Um, as they walk, Obi-Wan tells her to keep her head down. Leia, this would have been easier with an army. I don't know if you caught that little line. I, that was I great. I did, and I agree. <laughs> Yeah, I completely agree, too. Uh, Reva eventually gets there, and this is the scene you're talking about. She seems irritated at her goons. Um, and, it, you know, I, I honestly didn't didn't take that as her thinking that they, they should have him completely, uh, they should have Obi-Wan completely locked up. 
I I took it as more of you dumbasses are you you allowed yourself to get high like of all the things like you, you this is how you got fucked up is fucking they I, you I, got dosed like you, I expected you to morons. at least be dead instead you got high on your own product come on yeah so I think she was just thinking they were morons more than anything that was how I took it um and oh, she come back to Obi-Wan and Leia he tells her they need to make the last transport she tries to take off runs into a shady character a big weird looking alien did you know what that alien was nope have never seen that thing before me neither Obi-Wan then tells her, look, you have no idea what I'm risking to be here with you. From now on, you will do as you are told. She agrees. Spencer, at this point in the episode, did you think Leia was going to do as she was told? No! Yeah, absolutely not. Un under no circumstances. Then no. we see the Grand Inquisitor approaching Riva. He's chewing her out. Says, you would kidnap an Imperial Senator's daughter. So here's something interesting. Mm -hmm. Imperial Senator... That phrase was really loaded, and, and I think we can take take a second to break that down. It is an empire. Mm -hmm. He's calling it the Imperial Senate. However, the Senate still exists. The Senate still obviously has clout and power. Otherwise, he wouldn't be getting all high and mighty about taking one of their children. So it is exactly like we talked about in the last episode, that it's shooting the middle <laughs> here in that transition to a pure dictatorship where there was the Senate before, right? Mm -hmm. Um, and now Julius Caesar has come back with his army. He's taken over, but the Senate still is there. He didn't. He didn't disband the Senate on day one. Oh yeah. But okay. we do eventually get to a point where the Senate is is basically powerless, and then we get to that point in Episode Four where Grand Moff Tarkin goes, "Well, pff, no fucking Senate anymore, guys. I don't know what to tell you. Let's go blow up some planets." We're, we're definitely early early Claudian dynasty. Augustus is just merely the first citizen. He's not the emperor. He serves at the pleasure of the Senate. It's fun. I like that they mentioned it, referred to as the Imperial Senate. Because it gives yeah. us an idea of the transition. Because in episode four, they also referred to it as the Imperial Senate. But now we know that that transition has been going on for that 20-year period in slow little chunks, rather than just happening in the last couple of years. I, I like that kind of understanding of how the soft power has been working in the slow transition to pure dictatorship. It's a, it's a good little bit of world building in that one line. I absolutely could do an entire podcast about the politics, like the governing structures of the galaxy through these stories. And mm -hmm. like how they transition and how they build and consolidate, collect, disperse power. Maybe that's something we can do at some point when we have a bunch of time. When oh, we're I'd 60. be down. Absolutely. Um, uh, she explains that she found a link between Kenobi and Organa in the archives. Okay. All right. What? Don't ask. This is, this, is, this is a MacGuffin level of explanation. Just accept that she found a clue somewhere. Well, the only thing that makes sense is if in the archives somehow she figured out that Darth Vader was Anakin Skywalker. And then that is the connection. Because later on in the episode, she drops the T-bomb. She's a fucking nuclear fucking city on Obi-Wan Kenobi. The only thing that makes sense there is that she figured out Kenobi, Anakin Skywalker, former, uh, former um, Padawan uh, of Darth Vader. She made the connection to Anakin and Darth Vader and then figured out that the Organa child was adopted from Anakin Skywalker. And, and, and if, you, if that's the case, which is the only thing that makes sense to me right now, considering this scene and what we see later and Reva's knowledge later, what the fuck's going on with the archives? Why hasn't the Emperor just got, gotten rid of those fucking things? That's way too much information to be able to get in the archives. I mean, it's, it's one of those things where if that's true, I'd honestly prefer it. 
Because I don't particularly like the idea of it being in any way common knowledge that Anakin and Vader are the same person. It's not. Honestly, it is not. It is. Like, and, let's let's disper, the, dispel that right now. I've read the books. That is absolutely not common knowledge. So the fact that she sure knows it has got to be explained somehow in this story because people do not know this. I hope that's the case because I did not particularly like that just a mid-level inquisitor has that information to just casually throw out. So I want there to be an explanation for this because otherwise it doesn't fit in the canon that I understand. In all likelihood, the Grand Inquisitor doesn't know it because yeah. it is it, like it, the, it, for purposes of every fucking body in the galaxy, there including and only Vader. <laughs> yeah, including uh, our favorite uh, blue. Um, commander that uh we're gonna Thrawn. see much later we're gonna see much later that the emperor straight up loves this uh, like talk about the biggest bromance i've ever seen on the page <laughs> for the emperor is with thrawn the emperor loves thrawn he even tells thrawn anakin's dead like th this is not common knowledge so they are gonna have to explain how reva knows this this is the one point in this you know i'm a big apologist for these shows i like to enjoy them i always like to see the positive this is the thing where i was like what like, how does she have this knowledge? This, this really has to be explained. Mm -hmm. um, Spencer, um, then we get to the Grand Inquisitor, who asks why she did this without informing him. Fifth Brother suggests she thinks she will gain favor if she captures Kenobi. Did mm -hmm. you take that as gain favor with Vader? Yes. Yes, yeah, very much too. so, yes. Me too. Uh, because I, they haven't explicitly said it, but the Inquisitors, I believe, do report like they're, they're, the reporting structure is to Vader. It's not yeah. necessarily to the Emperor. My, my theory last episode was that personal grudge against Obi Wan. Now I'm now I'm leaning more towards a Vader fanboy. That she desperately wants power. She def desperately wants prestige, and she sees this as being basically an end way around it. Not spending ten years working up the ranks. She just goes for the million dollar goal right at the start. I hope, dear Disney, in the ether, please have listened to Spencer here. I hope they do exactly what you just said and that this Reva character really is a dressed up polished Vader fanboy that would make the most sense right because it would explain why she's been obsessing about his past and potentially could have found something in the archives that wasn't properly scrubbed that gave her an inclination that he was Anakin Skywalker that now not everybody else knows it would explain why she's hauling the fuck off and like completely breaking rank with the Grand Inquisitor um, to try to find Obi-Wan and why she's obsessed about it. All of this would all make sense to me if they would make her just basically an obsessive about Vader, right? Mm -hmm. I hope they go that route. Uh, whatever power you are, this is the Grand Inquisitor, whatever power you are craving, not change who you are. I got a question for you. Mm -hmm. Do you think mm -hmm. the Grand Inquisitor is like an Emperor fanboy? Because he just he's just straight up trying to sound like him. <laughs> I don't know whether the character is or whether they gave the actor notes to be, but yeah, it, it, he's channeling this guy. Yeah, because there was a period where Kobe, whenever he would hit a jumper, would do a like that fit like the fist pump, and he would like jut his jaw out like some sort of like movement with his mouth. Mm -hmm. And I always thought like he was at home one day watching Jordan like fist pump and stick the tongue out and thought <laughs> I need copy. to do that. I think this is what Grand Inquisitor has done. He's like heard a couple of like the 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 addresses to the Imperial Senate, maybe like, I don't know, the state of our universe. And he goes, what? Like, that is an awesome voice. I need to do that because he's, mm -hmm. he sounds like he's trying to do an impression of the emperor here. The least of us, you came to us from the gutter, the gutter, Spencer. 
your ability gave you station, but all oh, the power in the world can't mask the stench beneath. So he is, he's pissed off with Riva, but he's also being, I think, completely inappropriate. And because once you become an inquisitor, that's kind of a brotherhood too. This would be akin to like the Jedi saying, yeah, you're not really one of us because you're from that trash planet, planet Tatooine. You'd can't never get that. picture the Jedi saying that. No, and I can't, re I, I'm kind of shocked the Green Inquisitor is going here and taking this personal hit on her. And she remembers it, obviously, and, and, and takes some, some vengeance what? on him later for it. I think it was, I think it was a misstep on his part to go that below the belt and start talking about her being from the gutter. He didn't need to. She's obviously out of line. She's obviously violating orders. She's obviously trying to effectively end run around leadership. Any of those are perfectly valid career questions right now. He doesn't need to go with a classist-based attack. Which is also interesting, too, because if our theory is correct that she is a Padawan from the Jedi Temple, and the Grand Inquisitor was himself a Jedi at one point, it makes it all the more interesting for him to be hitting this point when she's being basically recruited from the same institution that he came from. Now, I have talked about... that. I'm sitting here nodding as furiously as I can because you you got exactly where I was thinking. I have told everybody on who listens to this podcast, I do not go out and listen to other reviews. I don't read other reviews before I do this. So there are things I could be missing. I am not the all-knowing person of the Star Wars universe. Neither is Spencer, obviously, because I kick his ass every podcast. So, <laughs> <laughs> uh, But it made me question my own assumption that the Grand Inquisitor was a Jedi. Because I thought, wait a second, maybe, maybe he was like... Maybe he's not from the Jedi, right? Because if he wasn't, that would explain him saying, well, you, you, you're you like a second-class Inquisitor because we had to pull you from the ranks of the fucking Jedi. Like, fuck the Jedi. Like, you were once one of them. You are now lower class than us. That that I started to spin out in that and wonder, wonder maybe we should question the Grand Inquisitor's uh, background. It, it's not clear. I don't think we... I don't... I remember the Grand Inquisitor being a Jedi that had fallen, I think, even before the Order collapsed and then went towards the cause. It's what I remember, but it's perfectly possible they're changing what was from, like, the Clone Wars background that we know the character from. We know... Obi-Wan says a lot of these guys were Jedi. Some of the ones we know the backgrounds of were at least Padawan that were then kind of corrupted or forced to, to join... to uh, uh, turn to the dark side. So we, we know that's at least a foundation, but they could be messing with that to a certain degree. It's hard to say when with the Disney new canon. Mm. Shot at the Disney new canon. Look at that. He slipped that right in right at the I'm end. Here for it. Uh, the Grand Inquisitor then says, You are no longer required, sister. Stand down. You will be dealt with when we return. The Grand Inquisitor and Fifth Brother take off. Obviously, Reva ain't going to listen. A little parallel just, there with Leia, right? Like, it, it, I, you just told her, You're going to listen. And she goes, Mm hmm. Uh uh. Not going to listen. It, if you want the dumbest decision in the entire episode, the Grand Inquisitor turning his back and just leaving Reva to her own devices right here. It's like, Obi-Wan Leia, he just met her. Fine. We know that obviously she's not going to obey, but Obi-Wan doesn't. Fine enough. Grand Inquisitor knows Reva. Grand Inquisitor knows exactly what Reva's going to do, or at least he should. Why in the hell doesn't he just have her arrested and put in her guard and put on the ship right now? Why does because he just leave her? This has to be, the, the only way this makes any sense is this has to be completely out of character for Reva, how she's been acting. Like, he, she has to have had years of being compliant. Because if, she, if she's been this non-compliant this entire time, then the Grand Inquisitor is just stupid. And that, that, he, can, he can't be stupid. So I don't, I, I think that the, the fact that she's gotten this close to Kenobi has to have flipped her willingness to break protocol more 
than she would have before. That's the only thing that makes sense to me. It's it's possible, but she had no way of knowing that Kenobi was on Tatooine, and she was still violating orders and doing whatever the hell she wanted. Again, if, if that's what they're going for, I put it in the same category of, please set this up better so that we can make this more clear and make it more clear character arc and growth. Yeah, I think part of the concern that a lot of the community has had um, is that they also... The, the Grand Inquisitor has been a really, like... People like that character. That's a big he's character been, in the Star Wars universe. character, yeah. And now they've just created this Reva who all of a sudden can outsmart him and can kill him and can do all this stuff. And people are like, wait a second, like, why, 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 is, our, why is this guy we know to be skilled and adept at the Force and in command of the Inquisitors for this long period of time? Why is he so stupid in this moment? So, I, I mean, it's a fair criticism. Assuming um, he's even dead, we don't know necessarily. Well, we'll get to that because there is a there is a little bit of like the, the canon gets screwed up here. Um, so if we he's we'll dead. Have to talk about if that. He, if he's dead, canon's out the window. But yeah, we'll yeah, yeah, we'll talk about that. Um, cut to Reva talking to Flea. She tells him she does not want. She wants to put the word out to every hiring gun in the city that she's looking for Kenobi. This is the scene I referenced previously, and mm -hmm. because the reason I referenced previously is because he's like. These these slums, these like bottom feeder bounty hunters aren't gonna be able to catch a Jedi. And she goes, I don't want him to catch him. I just right. want him to squeeze him out so that I can find him. Which actually is pretty smart. This is a good plan, honestly. This is this is more of a plan than we ever see the Grand Inquisitor doing in this episode. I know, and that sucks because the Grand Inquisitor is fucking smart in everything else. Cut to Kenobi. He notices the city is a buzz. He sees it. They've come to life, Spencer. Mm -hmm. You know what this is? This is um, have you ever, you no, you haven't. You ever, uh, I was going to ask you, I'll ask the audience instead. Have you ever been in a sports stadium and news breaks? <laughs> I have been in a sports stadium, goddammit. No, no. And, uh, and news breaks and you notice everyone is checking their phone at the same yeah. time. That's what this is. He's looking around and he's like, whoa, people are checking their phones way too much all at the same time. Something is amiss here. Can, can I make a reference to a show we did previously? Because people won't Fire believe away. that I was in a sports season, I did see that exact scene on Ted Lasso where they realized that with a tie, they can still stay in the Premier League. Remember that at the end of season one? Very good, and great plug for I, another podcast we do here on the Mangum Talks I, podcast my channel. My family has is, season Panthers tickets, you asshole. I've been to a sports stadium. My fam yeah. How often do you go to Panthers games? It's been 15 years. But it's I used been to 15 go years. <laughs> you ain't missed much in 15 years. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. I will say uh, that is a great a great plug for another podcast we do here on the Mangum Talks podcast channel called The Lasso Lowdown, where we review every episode of Ted Lasso. If you haven't watched Ted Lasso on the Apple Plus network, you're missing out, bro. It's mm -hmm. so good. Uh, but yeah, that, there was a scene in that, and it's exactly what I'm trying to describe, which is where everybody's like looking at their phone, like figuring, everyone is figuring something out at the a same time, which is audience. that the word has been put out on Dio. Obi-Wan Kenobi is here. Here is his picture. Bunch of credits to the person who gets him. And they're mm -hmm. all looking and seeing this at the same time. Kenobi looks around and he is able to see. I think he, I think he sees his silhouette or his face. Yeah, if he doesn't, he figures it out later when he actually gets the image on his phone. I'm calling it phone. It's receiver. I don't know what it is sure, in the Star yes. Wars universe. But like it, it, it's akin to what we use our phones for now, which is you're plugged into a greater network. If I had to bet, I would bet Star Wars was more Android than iPhone, but that's a discussion for another point. Oh, absolutely. you got to be able to break those things. There's no way they're going to have... Star, sort of Star Wars is off. that kind of built-in universe, yeah. Yeah. Um, so he takes uh, Leia to a vendor to get a different shirt. My wife's favorite part of this entire episode, probably series so far, because Obi-Wan has a nice little green shirt for her, 
and she goes to the the diet with the little the, the spackle <laughs> little faux diamonds all all on there and goes, it, "Ooh, I want this one." It, and he it, goes, it "No, like, can't have that." It, look, one. it looks like Dorothy's ruby slippers they made into a jacket in terms of what she picks up. She it's the it is the most like extra jacket on the rack and that's the one she wants and he's like no you can't wear that it obviously will just draw attention to you uh she then wants gloves Kenobi says you can't have gloves oh okay throw the gloves in a move everybody with kids has done the no you're not no you can't have the lot we're not getting lollipops no can't okay all right i'll take a lollipop all right my, my favorite kenobi is a dad moment in the entire episode was him going up to the clerk and saying uh get uh, i'm buying the green cloak thing and then he looks over and she's already put on the gloves and like and a pair of gloves just like but even before already. then he says to her no gloves and then yes. he then he looks at the guy and says yeah gloves so it's like it, yeah. you can see the mental yeah it's it's perfect. Even a Jedi um, can't, can't resist the power of the kid wanting shit. Yeah, and then they walk away. He says, "Look, if anybody asks, you're my daughter. We're farmers from Tor. Leia, granddaughter, maybe. Ooh, I'm telling you, if <laughs> anybody's got a problem, if anyone out there has a problem with young Leia, find another Star Wars podcast because I do not have a problem with young Leia. Love her. Literally, the only problem I have with this character is they feel the need to give her a chase scene every episode. Only I don't like the chase scenes. Not we'll her get there fault. In a second. Not not the young actress's fault. As we look around the city, we see a lot of people looking at Kenobi's image. So the word clearly has gotten out. Leia then tries to go towards some street food vendor, but Kenobi stops her. Do not blame her. I'm telling you, the little skewers that they do over a street food, little skewers of meat, typically been marinated long periods of time. These are not the highest cuts of meat. They're typically like Absolutely cuts not. of meat that have a lot of fat in them. And they're over an open charcoal grill. Buy those every street, every every place there's street food that you can find those, buy them. Yeah, They're you, delicious, you, and that's what she wants. And as you said, this is the Star Wars version of kind of like a, a Neo-Tokyo, very much the, you know, um, uh, very, very much that kind of sci-fi setting. Street food in, the, in an, Asian, an Asian neighborhood or an Asian city, best kind of street food. Absolutely. Those little, those little skewers of marinated meat over charcoal. Yeah, and they're like a couple bucks, buy them. Uh, and that's what Leia wants. He stops her though. It's not time to eat. It is, and that is a fair point from Uncle Granddad Kenobi. Yeah. That's a fair point. We don't have time to eat. I think that's yeah. fair. Yeah, as frustrating as it was, it was intended to be frustrating. Is that Leia has no concept of the danger they're in and is just excited no. to be outside the palace for a minute. She, yeah, she, she has a very girl in the tower view of what the actual threats in the universe are. And we get that. We get a, a, a little reference to that later as we look around. Uh, oh, no. Uh, then she asks him, why isn't he using his lightsaber? Maybe because you're not a Jedi. And then she says, she heard the Jedi can make people float. See, again, like the stories that get told of Jedi just really are hilarious to me. They don't bleed. They make people float. Like crazy stuff, right? Then she says, I want to float. Make me float. I, I wanted to grab and shake her and said, Jedi are under constant hunting they are under constant threat obviously he can't use his powers or show his lightsaber in the street and also i'm trying to get you away from mercenaries just shut up for a minute yeah he does a version of that he says look he, he doesn't much more polite draw attention she asks for his name and he gives it ben but I want to point something out here in the hologram that she records, the hologram message mm -hmm. that she records and sticks into R2-D2 at the end of Rogue One before uh, A New Hope that is covered in A New Hope, she says, Obi-Wan Kenobi, you're my only hope. She calls him Obi-Wan Kenobi, not Ben Kenobi. 
So at some point between this, what happens right this second, where he introduces himself as Ben and she knows this man as Ben, to later, she learns that his name is actually Obi-Wan and that well, should be covered on screen, please. I mean, I, I'm, I already am feeling that the hologram and the dialogue we got from Leia and New Hope is inherently inconsistent with the idea that they had a separate little adventure right here and now. I, I mean, even the language she uses that you served my father in the Clone Wars, not you rescued my ass 10 years ago. She's f framing it in, you may not know me, but you know my dad. I think they're having to be a little bit fast and loose with the canon to even make this kind of side story work. But Unless I, she, Leia, when she records that at the start of A New Hope, doesn't know that Ben Kenobi is Obi... Doesn't know Ben, who saved her when she was 10, is Obi-Wan Kenobi. She's thinking Obi-Wan Kenobi is someone else, some other thing. Which that could very well be, too. Again, there's ways they can work through this. Very he well, that present, could be. Possibly set up to be as inconsistent, but we don't know. The fact that he introduced himself as Ben Kenobi, they, there's a lot of ways they can go with that. She does call him Obi-Wan later. Just want to point that out. Anyway, little Leia then drops some knowledge. How can I trust you when I know you are hiding something? Beat, beat, take it in. You think the less you say, the less you give away, but it's really the opposite. An incredibly intuitive thing to say and it is true of a lot of people in this world who think it that is. by not talking about themselves, that they're able to shield parts of themselves from others, when in reality, the only thing they're doing is showing their insecurities and vulnerabilities by not by refusing to talk about something. Kenobi, how old are you? Leia, 10. Kenobi, you don't sound like you're 10, Leia. Thank you. Oh, ah, Spencer, she's so cute. I love her. I know. And off they go again. Then we see Haja's helper come in and tell him, Look, everybody's looking for this Kenobi character. And Josh says, okay, we'll have to get to him first. I wasn't quite sure what he meant when he says we'll have to get to him first, but he does bring a blaster. I, I assume that he was joining the hunt. I assume that too. he was just looking for a payday. That is not the case, as we find out later. I was a, I was a little confused. I, 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 thought that was a, I thought that was a good, like, 70% like certainty inference that he was joining the hunt, but I wasn't completely sure what his motivations were here. Cut back to the Grand Inquisitor. He sounds like he's doing his best Emperor Palpatine impression. Um, just pointing that out again. Make sure every port is shut down. He gets like more Palpatine as the <laughs> He's going to be an older and older on. man as the episode goes Make on. Make sure every port is shut down. I want a garrison here within the hour. And remember, this is no ordinary Jedi. Kenobi is an ember of a dying age. Extinguish him. Fifth Brother says, I, I, consider it done. Did love that line. Love that little poetic turn of phrase right there. I thought that was very on point. Okay. Uh, Kenobi is the last ember of a dying age. Extinguish him. Mm -hmm. I like that he says Kenobi is no, no ordinary Jedi. It does show that the Grand Inquisitor has some knowledge that not a lot of other people in this world have about Kenobi's past, which I think is important because he would have access to that. And I, I like even just how it's freeing frame too, because this is a view that even Lucas you know, shared in the past that Obi-Wan, Yoda, those kind of you know, members of the Jedi Order during it, at the moment of its fall were a unique breed, a very much a, a callback to the Grey Age of the Jedi in a way that has just been kind of lost from the universe, even as Luke creates his new school. So it, it feels very... Grey Age? Is that what you called it? A New Age is what I said. I didn't say the Ray Age. Oh, I heard Grey Age. Okay. Uh, yeah, a New Age. Yeah, okay. Um cut to uh, the Grand Inquisitor. He has shown the wanted poster for Kenobi and says, Riva. So he knows mm -hmm. she did that. Why didn't you see this coming, sir? I ask. Uh, same. Same. Cut to Riva. She's standing on top of a building watching things. Heavy Batman vibes here. 
really looked very, like she's looking over Gotham, isn't it? It very much looked like she was in Gotham. I was even briefly thinking this was a set that they used in the in um the uh, what was the name of the first Christopher Nolan Batman movie again? Uh, Dark Knight uh, Rises. Uh, I'll, I'll, I'll look it up. It, it looked almost exactly like some of the settings they used for that one. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, I thought it was like a maybe maybe a quick homage, a little Star Wars homage to Batman. Cut to Kenobi. He tells Leia to stay where she is and not make any noise, especially none from her droid. Uh, she says, well, it won't make any noise. It's busted. And he says, good. Batman Oof, begins. Duh. Okay. Batman begins. That's right. Yeah. Okay. Oof, duh. Mr. Kenobi. That was mean. Good. He recognizes it was mean. Stops. Although the fact that he does not rec- does not immediately intuit that she could have an emotional connection to the droid does fall within the 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 Obi Wan Venn diagram of hating his droids. So it does kind of land right that with his personality. But he also does figure out that she was hurt by what he said. So he says, "Look, um, what what happened? What happened to your your buddy droid here?" And she says, "It was ripped up by some bad men." And uh, Kenobi tells her, look, I talked to your parents and told them that you'll be back in the palace, back to normal by nightfall. Leia, normal. Great. Kenobi, now who's hiding something, princess? Is is he using a turn of phrase when he says nightfall? Or has traveling in Star Wars now become like Littlefinger moving around in Game of Thrones? It's like, that that seems like a bit of a stretch to move across the galaxy in in, in terms of that fast but i'm guessing he was being a little bit loose in his in in, in like the time frame of how fast they'll be back well do we know alderaan is very far from this planet i I mean it's still distances through the galaxy i mean luke Luke flying from tatooine to alderaan took a fair portion of time aboard the millennium falcon yeah but couldn't have i mean because they they took her from alderaan so they could have taken her to a planet not very far away i mean it's at least um, theoretically possible. It's just a neighboring system. It's just, it's it's possible. Yeah, I mean, I, I thought what he was saying is like by the next time you fall asleep, you, next time you fall asleep, we'll be in your own bed. I figured he was being poetic in that kind of way rather than necessarily literal. Uh, she says she doesn't. When he says now, who's hiding something, princess? A couple things happen. One is he is pointing out that she has tipped her hat that she's not really happy with her her life there in Alderaan. Um, but another thing happens is we get another connection to the character on episode four, five, and six, where she fires back and says, you don't have to call me princess. Now, how many times did she tell Han to stop fucking calling her princess in episode four, five, and six? So I loved that bit of writing. As many as he ignored her by. I don't remember the exact number, but every single time. I know, it was awesome. So she she clearly has never liked the term princess. Um, So really, I I just like that consistency. We get several lines here that are lifted from four, five, and six in terms of some of the conversations with Leia in the past and kind of mirroring those again. It's it's fun to recognize those lines when they come. Yeah, because I think that this is kind of billed as and talked about as a love story homage to the prequels, continuing that story. It's more prequels than anything else, but it does connect us to four, five, and six. Yeah, it's 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 a prequel. It's it's a it's it's another prequel to four, five, and six. Uh, Kenobi then sees the wanted ad for him. Leia sees it too before he can close it, and she freaks out. She says he was lying. You're the reason I'm here. They took me to get to you. Did my father even send you? How do I know you're not the real kidnapper? You're not a Jedi. I don't believe you. And another thing, I don't think gravity's she, real. And she, da, 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 da. she spirals fast. It's like. Yeah. Okay, there are other explanations for this. And also, even if they are hunting for him, what's your alternative right now other than to just run off onto the strange planet? But she's 10, she's the girl in the tower, the fact that she does not behave rationally here is fine. 
it's a prime example of a child being too smart for their own good because she yes. um, grabs on she intuits and grabs on to way more truth than you would expect a 10 year old to be able to do simply by seeing that hologram however she doesn't grab on to the whole truth and so that kind of fucks her and yep. she thinks it's somebody that she can't uh you know and you know the running away isn't quite as nonsensical as it might seem right because she still has it in her head that her dad is sending an army so her, her thought might be, this guy is a real kidnapper. He's he's now trouble in my mind. If I can just wait all of these threats out, my dad will get to me eventually. Which is a profound assumption. But again, girl in the tower. What information she's drawing from is incomplete and inaccurate. Right. But it's not just I'm running into oblivion, right? Like I mean, I think there's maybe a little bit more to it than that. It, it, a little of column A, column D, I think, in terms of a response. But sir, we are upon the chase scene. Go ahead. I give the floor it, to you. It Sir sucks. Please, please, please stop trying to think that a 10-year-old running away from a guy <laughs> is in any way tense, exciting, or, you know, going to be, at many points, even sensical in terms of just her... I'm guessing at this point they're going to say that her natural force abilities just allow her to constantly avoid adults running after her, or in Ewan McGregor's case, vaguely jogging. <laughs> It's not great. It's not well filmed. It's not tense. And it fills up like the next nine minutes of this episode, which is a waste of time. Please stop doing Leia. Nine Jesus. minutes. Nine it, minutes. This thing was like 45 seconds. What are you talking no, about? No, nine I'm, minutes. I'm, I'm, I'm continuing with her going up onto the roof and eventually just leaping off the roof lemming style. It goes okay, on. That's still not nine minutes. minutes, but I see what you're saying. All right. So here's the thing. Here's here's my rebuttal here. Um, you're right. So that's my rebuttal. You've never said uh, that before. Yeah, you're right. Now, I will say that as much as this scene sucks, and I do not want to ever see young Leia in a chase scene with a grown man again, uh, or a grown or adult, doesn't have to be a man, just an adult. Yeah. I don't like it. I was bored by it, except there was a nugget there, which was her running through the streets. We got to see a little bit more of the world. We got to see some animals and aquariums. We got to see some more street vendors. We got to see some other species. So there was a little bit of world creation that they built into this highly stupid scene. Mm -hmm. I agree with you that at least I, I could get something out. You know me, I like to see the positive and everything. I was able to find a little bit of positive in it through the world creation of the street scene. The rooftop stuff, I got nothing for, except that they were clearly leading to a very dramatic moment. And this is, again, of where I know what they were going for. I just think they could have done it better. I really liked the idea of the little world building. I wish we'd gotten, like, just, like, before they even started the imminent chase, before the goons were immediately coming after them, if we'd gotten, like, an extra ten minutes of her just soaking up the universe, of being the princess wandering the streets and being out in the world for the first time, and just being amazed and appreciating all of the just strange uniqueness that's around her, outside of anything she's seen before, I would have eaten that up. That would have been great. Instead, we got because we're on such a rush, we just kind of breezed over that and only got that in the little side points. I think they could. I, I would have loved if we'd gotten more world building and tied into Leia's just starry-eyed, suddenly new view of the universe. I wish they'd done more of that. So this is where I will get cynical about Disney with you. I'm, I will descend down into the pit, Join the gutter. Me, sir. I'll, I'll get in the, the gutter side. with you. I'll get in the gutter with you for just a moment, yes. and I will say that in all likelihood. The, the continued chase scenes with young Leia is probably playing to a young audience because kids do like to see the young kid outrunning the adult 
That is dramatic for young children. It, we see it in every fucking kid's movie everywhere, and we see it for a reason, because it does land with children. It obviously doesn't land with you. It certainly does not land with me. But I, that might be another reason why they've done it for a couple episodes in a row. Again, I think more so in this series than in Mandalorian Boba Fett, we're getting big tent Star Wars. So, Hey, um, the original films were intended to be big tent, and kids loved New Hope just as much as anybody else, and there were no purposely pandering down to little kids kind of moments. Little kids can appreciate things beyond something that's only targeted at them. What the fuck did you just say? There was no pandering that you, the Ewoks? Are you fucking kidding me? I, I said New Hope, sir. I okay, all right. Hope. Well, then you're then you're right. There was no 10-year-old in New Hope, so they couldn't do a chase scene. However, the original films did absolutely pander to children with the little teddy bears that were preposterous. I'm with you. I would have preferred the original script that they were Wookiees. I think that would have worked massively better. Way better. If it was Kashyyyk they went to, God and, bless. And then the and then and the And Chewbacca drama. getting to come back and you know, reclaim his basically connection to his people. It, and then the drama of Kashyyyk potentially being destroyed in the whole thing. Oh my God, that would have been, give it to me. That would have been so much better than but, the Ewoks. But George um, saw marketing opportunities for kids and it was a mistake. And we can agree that that was a mistake just so we can say that this is a mistake. Yeah, absolutely. I, I look. I, just because I explained it doesn't mean I like it, right? I don't yes. like the kids chasing. I don't like it at all. I just think that might be kind of where they're coming from. Um, sure. uh, ben, then in uh, here is one thing I know with all certainty about the people who make Star Wars now over in Disney. Mm-hmm. I know this more than I know that they like to make money. I know this more than I know that they like the Clone Wars, which is also pretty obvious. It's yes. that they like professional wrestling. They absolutely they like professional wrestling because Ben, do. Ben delivers a clothesline. I mean, they could have done any number of moves for him to knock this guy out—a punch in the face, a whack with a stick, a kick. They do a Since professional wrestling move clothesline. God bless you, Lucasfilm. I love you. Um, cut to Grand Inquisitor's army coming together. So he does kind of have a little bit of an army he's bringing because that's the difference like between him it. and Reva. Reva is having to like buy people off and use people like third-party contractors my man can do this in-house the grand inquisitor he's bringing stormtroopers which we see now showing up so that does show that in the 10 years from the end of episode three to now that the empire the empire has transitioned his army so he's done a lot palpatine's done a lot of work in these 10 years because he has scrapped the clone army altogether they're gone because we see the veteran he calls himself a veteran meaning i'm not even in the army anymore yeah. The clones aren't, and there would be no reason to scrap one clone and not all clones. Like I'm, I'm sh- like I, I think the presumption here is that he doesn't use the clones anymore. He now is using a stand-up, like uh, army that has been generated during the time of the Empire, which makes sense because, um, you know, now he's able to to get people who have been indoctrinated into this well, new world, right? I think it makes perfect sense, honestly, to move away from the clones. For one thing, they're a relic of the old republic, and there's some at least element of question about their loyalties, given what cause they fought for before ever they ever, ever joined you. And also, if you're trying to create Good a point. new galactic initiative, recruiting people from the worlds themselves, the average citizens, to be part of your army, is a great way to integrate them into a common cause rather than just using this inherently always going to be other organization to do your policing and your soldiering. So I I think it's a good move, honestly, to move to a citizen recruited force. But one thing that uh, we know from old canon and new canon is that the Empire is pretty speciest. Um, They do look down on the Outer Rim territories in large part because 
Most of them are populated by non-humans, or at least partially populated by non-humans. And so they put everybody behind a stormtrooper helmet because, yep, they don't don't want everybody to look the same. No individuality. And overwhelmingly, they are humans. I mean, it's one of the things that we're... The fact that Thrawn is non-human is a big fucking deal. The fact that he is one of the senior officer and is a member of... Start to the sea. I've suddenly blanked in the name of his species, but I'll look it up. And is not a clear, obvious human is a massive no. exception made just for him on the basis of his competence. The Empire is an incredibly speciest organization. In Chiss. Th- Chiss, thank you. So, yeah, that, Mithra that Nuronodo. That's his name. Mithra Nuronodo. It used to be in the in the Legends universe, they also were incredibly sexist because the fact that people like Admiral Dalla became senior officers as a woman was viewed as incredibly the exception. Seems like they've moved away from that now in terms of the mo- of, the, of, the, of the, the modern canon. Oh no, very much still in there, and you get it in the Throne books. Yeah, it's still it's okay. still it's still the case for sure. Um, uh, what do we have next? Uh, we have Leia run. Well, two people, two bounty hunters start shooting at, at Obi-Wan during this. This stops his pursuit of young Leia. Uh, he eventually does shoot down these two bounty hunters, but Leia then gets to the edge of a building. There is a, uh, space between that and the next building. She tries to jump it. She can't, uh, does she, she even falls. Get halfway? Does she even make it halfway across the gap? She, Not very a, far. She, yeah. This Go is ahead. a lemming. This is a lemming level action on her part. She's practically committing suicide in terms of just making a leap. Yeah, I do wish they would have shown it be maybe a little bit closer, and then her getting a little bit closer because like kids can well, misjudge distances, but not by that much. It would have made it a lot better if she like makes it to the edge and she misjudged it, but she's on the edge, but then falls or something, so it doesn't look as just random leaping into a void kind of thing. But yeah, but they wanted the face-to-face shot of her falling, looking at Kenobi. That's they what did. they wanted. Um, so she she lands, she holds a rope, but it's only with one arm. She can't hold for very long. She falls. Ben, uh, or Obi-Wan, let's call him, because uh, he is going to tap into the Force. Uh, reaches out, uses the Force. It does look like it pains him to tap into it. It's been 10 years since he's done so, apparently. But he is able to, and he is able to hold her up and slowly lower her down so that she is not injured. There you go, Obi-Wan. Back. Back with the Jedi. Good job, Obi-Wan. You're a Jedi again. And I liked this scene. I liked it quite a bit. I thought it was very, I thought it was, it was very dramatically tense. This is another moment of where I, would, I wish that we'd had more time with this to lead into the idea that he's in some way not used the Force or he's been struggling with the Force to make this moment just all the more dramatic of him returning to the fold. We've made, we need another episode or two probably to sufficiently set that up and they don't have time for that. It still makes for a dramatic moment, but I feel like if we'd gotten a little bit more build up to it, it would have made it all the more powerful. Yeah, it really worked for me because I, I, I absolutely just felt like I knew, I guess it's an assumption, but felt like I knew he wasn't using the force. Um, he didn't, you know, he didn't use the force when he was fighting the people earlier in the episode. He, he didn't he use it. Using it yeah to get away from them he wasn't he wasn't using it at all i mean he, he could have used it to jedi mind trick somebody into a little bit more comfortable transport uh it said he flew commercial like there's a lot of situations where he could have used the force but he he didn't and um i gotta say if you haven't used the force for 10 years and you've probably told yourself over and over again you don't have the right to use it anymore because of how much you failed in your previous apprentice which has screwed the galaxy and screwed the jedi order and the old republic and you are the villain of your own story and your test to see if you can figure out how to use it again 
is a little girl falling to her fucking death is pretty goddamn intense. Like, holy shit. Like, of all the, like, I mean, could it have been like a, like a blaster fire to see if he could stop that? This is, this is pretty, this is pretty heavy stuff that Obi-Wan had to deal with to tap back into the force. Yeah, it's one of the things where I was not surprised that they were going this route, that he's going to struggle with the force to a certain degree, because that's established part of canon that, you know, a connection to the force, force in mild ways, that's intrinsic and that never really goes away. But more flashy kind of issues, it's not like riding a bike. Those decay, those can fade. And we've seen examples of even people intentionally not using the force and their abilities fading as a result and their connections fading as a result. Luke is an example. Kyle Katarn is another example. A lot of Jedi have gone through this at various points. So that's perfectly in canon. I'm, again, just saying this more like a filmmaking standpoint rather than it not making sense. Guess who it didn't diminish for? Yoda? Yoda. That's right. Well, well Yoda's um, fucking Yoda. Yoda's exactly. always the exception. It's a point I'm making. Um, he goes to her. She asks if He asks her if she's okay. First thing out of her mouth, you. You really are a Jedi. That is a potential line of the episode. Really liked yeah. it. Cut to Kenobi showing up at the airport, but the Imperial Army is there. Leia asks who they are. Kenobi, Inquisitors. Many of them were Jedi, but now they hunt their own crime. Kind, another potential line of the episode, just because of how much it it tells us. Leia, who are you? So she's funny, because she's like, he he drops this knowledge. Not only am I a Jedi, I know this very specific thing about these people here. Um, And so she just fires back, who are you? Then a droid that is behind them suddenly gets shot. And guess who it is? Huzzah! My guy. Yeah, he, he's back. And I thought he, up through the moment he spoke that he was just trying to claim a bounty. You And you thought it would be like he'd have to dispatch him and it'd just be like another one of these fight scenes that you think I, wasn't I, properly I thought it would be a stupid comedy kind of thing, yes. Yeah. He explains the city center. He, he, he like basically shoots the droid and comes up and he does the like... We get this so much in media, right? Where there's a, a character that does not trust the other character. And the other character immediately goes, fuck your distrust. I got to talk to you. Like, And yeah. that's kind of what he's doing here. Don't he goes, look. have time for the A to B to C. Yeah. Follow me to he, D. He explains, this, the city center is locked down. You are not getting out of here the way that you think you're going to. You need another way out. And it is going to be a cargo transport that is fully automated. Meaning there are no people on there to notice that you are Kenobi and you're the guy on the hologram that's on their wrist now. They won't be looking for you there because there will be no people there. Go to the transport. Eight. It will take you to Mazu- Mapuzo. Spencer, ever heard of Mapuzo? I don't know if I have, actually. Remind me. I hadn't either. Don't know what okay. it is. Um, and he says, they'll be waiting. Kenobi, the only thing, only question he has in all of this is, who is they? <laughs> yeah, they, they? There are people out there. People who can help you. So I think what Aja is referencing here is I have a network of people that I work with and we all fucking love Jedi. We grew up reading your comic books. We were really big into the original movies and we love you guys. So if you can just get to my people, they're going to fucking take care of you if you can do a little forcey thing. Just do a little forcey thing with them. Could, could certainly be that. Could even be a certain element of like a proto-rebel alliance or at least, you know, resistors to imperial control. Do you think Aja would be tapped into that? I had that thought too, but do you think he'd be tapped into that? I don't this know guy seems like a clown. The, I don't know what to expect about this character. He surprises me at several moments, including what he does next, even though it proves dumb. He seems like a little bit of a clown to be tapped into the... Like, I don't think, like, Mon Mothma would see that guy and go, yeah, you know what, let's keep him. I, I understand, but his next move <laughs> is go, I'll buy you time, and pretty much voluntarily marches yeah. to his death. So does he, he doesn't die, though. He doesn't. I'm kind of surprised Reva didn't kill him, but he's 
what guy would go into that moment without expecting he was going to die or at least be imprisoned? He does show some. Us? He does show some heroism, some although it is unclear how much he knows that the Inquisitors can use the Force. Um, He's understanding he might the Force not, is limited. Yeah, he might not know that. But anyway, let's get back to the recap here. Where are we at? Oh yeah, Haja says there are people out there that can trust you, or people that can help you. Kenobi says I can't trust you. Haja says, look, have I made mistakes? Yes. Do I feel bad about it? Yes. Do I like credits? Sure. There's so much stuff to buy with credit. So here's what, what they're doing with this line is they have a comedic actor. They're trying to give him a funny line. Uh, Kenobi says, okay. Haja. Haja says, you remembered my name. That, I felt like, was more impacting was, than anything that, else in this entire that scene. That was cute. I like that, yeah. I didn't think it was cute. I thought it was like kind of like heartbreaking that this guy who his whole life is like pretending to be a Jedi and like kind of being a carny act no one remembers him. Nobody cares about him. And the fact that someone remembered his name, especially someone who idolizes this way, yeah. is like a really big deal to him. He says, I'm trying to make a, I'm trying to make amends. Good for you, buddy. A big proponent of amends. If I'd known what you were, Kenobi says, it doesn't matter what I am. We just need to help the girl. Kenobi asks, how he knows, how do I know this isn't a trap? Haja, spinning his argument on him, goes, what other choice do you have, right? Same thing you told Leia earlier in the episode. Yeah. Cut to the Grand Inquisitor. He's trying to find Kenobi. He's asking Flea. He's putting him before a General Grievous-esque rotating lightsaber. It lo looks very Grievous-esque. It's a straight-up lightsaber uh, wood chipper that he's putting this guy into right now. And seemingly actually puts him in based on the yeah. scream we get out of this. I think he does. I think he kills him. Yeah, so adios, Flea. Uh, we'll, uh, we'll see you for the next Red Hot Chili Peppers album. I'll mock Disney for you know, being too PG about this. I was kind of okay that they cut the cut what would be left of a guy going through that kind of wood chipper. I don't, don't even really know how they would. I'm not even sure how they would show that. Um, cut to Riva. Ja steps out in front of her, pretends to be a Jedi. This is the scene that you were referencing, uh, and he basically says, "Look, I'm a Jedi. You have found me. What is my bounty? A million credits? Two million credits? Again, still trying to give him funny lines. Uh, only reason I think he survives here is that this is just so." suicidally dumb that even Reva's just kind of flabbergasted by it for a minute. She is. And that, that, I thought that was well acted by her, right? Because she's just like looking at him and she's like, what the fuck? And then she goes, you're not, you're not a Jedi. First off, like you're not a Jedi. Like, what are you doing? Like that, she has a very puzzled look on her face that I felt like was really true to the moment. Can I, this one thing I think we should note, the portrayal of Reva this episode, I liked a lot better than episode one. I thought it kind of hit, I think it hit its stride better in this episode than it ever did in episode one of where it just came across as whiny. And this is not CYA for your comments from the other episode. No, 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 no. I would, I would straight up still insult her completely if I thought it wasn't up, it wasn't up to point. This is better. I think, I, I think this was better portrayed for what it needed to. And I think I've also, it helps that I've got a better understanding of the arc they're going with, with the character now. Um, yeah. It, Still going to say episode one, Reva, was barely tolerable. But I'm, I'm more with it now. Yeah, I didn't... I, I, I mean, they gave her not much to work with earlier in the episode. I mean, they literally made her Batman, which was kind of weird. They but did. I did like... I liked this moment because I felt like she understood... Like, the actress seemed to me to understand how preposterous it was that Haja was approaching her. Like, yeah. and she portrayed it that way, which was good. Um, so she eventually uh, pushes him against the wall and then uses uh, a little force uh, mind control to look into his mind to figure out where Kenobi is. Now, um, this is interesting because I was unsure of Reva's force abilities. Uh, this is pretty advanced to be able to it's do this. Even the, I mean, 
you can only do it to like weak-minded people, non-hut people. Um, Famous example, um, Vader couldn't break into Leia's mind to find out where the rebel base was. Correct. That's a, that's a famous example of there are limits on how well this can work. Um, yeah, uh, but the more advanced you get, the more you're able to do this to people who have stronger wills. Uh, see um, uh, Ben from the later movies uh, interacting with Ray. Uh, that's sure. another example. Uh, she eventually figures out where Kenobi is and takes off to cut to Kenobi and Leia. Um, Kenobi's telling her that this should be a good option unless it's a setup. Leia, is it really hard to believe that you might have friends? And I've got to tell you, little Leia, for Ben Kenobi, as you know him, yes, it is hard to really. He doesn't believe he deserves friends. Mm-hmm. Like, that's the thing you have to understand about this character at this point. It's he has spent penance. 10 years mentally beating himself up for what he thinks is ruining the galaxy and ruining everything. He does not think he deserves friends. So he is always, like somebody with that low of self-esteem, and I hope they continue to portray it this way, is always going to be skeptical when somebody offers a helping hand. Because if you think you're not worth help, you will reject help. And that is what he kind of has been doing all along here. Mm -hmm. Uh, Leia, look, since I've met you, I've been chased, shot at, almost fell to my death. That's your fault. And now there are inquisiting people after us. That is a funny line. I like how it was written. That's how a kid would say it, inquisiting people. If somebody is offering us help, I think we should take it now. Come on. What now? Obi-Wan, nothing. You just remind me of someone. She was fearless too and stubborn. I'm not stubborn. I'm not stubborn. She objects to being stubborn. Love Love when stubborn people say they're not stubborn. Proving the point. They always do. Obi-Wan Kenobi, no. She then says, well, was she a leader? Or no, sorry. Uh, she says, um, "Let me go back. Let me go back." Uh, she's objecting to being stubborn, and like, "I'm not stubborn. I'm not stubborn." And then, you know, Obi Wan lets her cool off a little bit, and then she says, "Well, was your friend a Jedi too?" And he says, "No, she was a leader. She died a long time ago." Leia, I'm sorry, Obi Wan. Me too. Best scene of the episode. It's a powerful scene. I li- I liked it quite a bit. My favorite scene of the episode for sure. Enter uh, Reva. She draws her lightsaber. Obi Wan, Obi Wan, Obi Wan tells her, um, Leia, you gotta go. If I don't get back in time, you just go because he gives her the little key chip, right? So she can get into the automated transport, put the key in, and it will go with or without Obi Wan Kenobi. Obi Wan picks up his lightsaber, but he does not draw it. Mm-hmm. I was on the edge of my seat wanting him to draw that fucking thing because I know. In my heart of hearts, that there is absolutely no way on this planet that Reva beats Obi-Wan one-on-one in lightsaber combat. If he drew that lightsaber, it would be the end of Reva. Man's diminished. Man's out of practice. You don't know, dude. This is a guy that struggled to command the Force here a minute ago. You don't know what he's still capable of. I do. I do, do I do, I do who. I do, I do, I do who because he's in episode four. He also... Like the level that he was at before, I, it's yeah. There is a little ride in the bike to it. I think he, I think he would absolutely defeat Reva, and I think he's going to in a later episode. By the way, I think we're going to get that. I agree. I think he's going to draw that thing, Re- and he's going to cut her up. Reva's not surviving this show. No. I, I, either she's voluntarily going into exile, she's going to be killed by somebody else, or she's going to die at Obi Wan's hand. She doesn't make it beyond this point in canon. We know this. Although and I, I would really enjoy with her mindset that she can, I'd really enjoy if she survived and Disney forced a Riva show down our throat just to tell everybody to fuck right off. That'd be pretty great too. Hey, you want to you, you want to accuse us of affirmative action? Watch this. We're gonna give you ten episodes of Riva. 
Disney would not. Sadly, Disney would not do that because they don't think it would make money. That's no. the only reason they wouldn't do it. Nope. Um, Reva, you don't have to worry. You're not going to die today. I'm just going to take you to him. Lord Vader, she calls him Lord Vader, so it's her lord, will be pleased. She feels through the force at this moment. She detects his thoughts. That's the implication. You didn't know. He's alive, Obi-Wan. Anakin Skywalker is alive. This is revolutionary. This is huge. This is a monster, monster moment because, first off, as we covered in the previous episode, I didn't know. I'm not sure everybody knew that Obi-Wan, Obi-Wan. didn't know yeah. Anakin survived, right? But the second, and maybe even more importantly, is how the fuck does Reva know this? And why yeah. does she think it's okay to just be saying it out loud so nonchalantly? This is a massive secret in the universe that you will be quickly murdered for knowing. Yeah, this is one of the things where Obi-Wan not knowing, it's unexpected, but I'm, I can actually go with that. Reva knowing, explain now, show, because this doesn't make sense. Yep. Obi-Wan shocked Reva. He's been looking for you for a long time, and I will be the one to deliver you to him. So a little bit more fodder for the theory that you put out earlier, which I really liked, which is the idea that really what Reva is is a Lord Vader sycophant. She's just a fanboy. Um, Grand Inquisitor interrupts her, says, I can't stand your ambition any longer. Tells her he cannot risk her losing him again. Kind of a weird move from the Grand Inquisitor, because you would think his first goal here would be getting Kenobi. But instead, it seems to be punishing Reva. He tells her to move aside. She does move aside just long enough to jump right back out in front of him and stick the lightsaber right through his chest, ruining canon, ruining so much because Rebels is set four to five years after this. Grand Inquisitor is in it. Now, the only thing I could think. He can't be dead. Well, the only thing I can think. Well, Grand Inquisitor is a position. It looks so the like only, him, though. I know. That's the thing. Is they made it look like him. See, they could have got away with this if he didn't look like him so closely to what they portrayed sure. in Rebels. So he he had to survive this. How the fuck do you survive a lightsaber through the heart? Spencer, question for you. But it wasn't through the heart. It was like through the hip where she stabbed him. It looked kind of low. Darth Maul got his entire lower half cut off in that kind of realm before. There's any number of ways that people have survived similar blows. In the it past. looked to me like it was through the chest. If he, if she literally put the lightsaber through his heart, he's dead. Like that, that only reason that Darth Maul survived is because it was his lower half cut off. It didn't yeah. cut through his lungs or his heart or any I, of that stuff. I thought it was lower. I thought it was like going through the side of his hip. I didn't, I didn't see it. I, I'll, I'll rewatch and see. But I, I, I didn't think. I thought it was a lower kind of hit. Well, it's so, got to be something. So maybe that's it. I. I I have to hope they're not just playing that willy-nilly with even their own cannon. It's confusing. They Otherwise, they painted themselves in the corner. This is obviously intended to be the same guy. It looks like the same guy. So if they're just killing him off, suddenly they just get carbon cutouts to be the Grand Inquisitor at each cycle that they want to? <laughs> well, I mean, it would there. work. It would work if he, did, he wasn't such a, a, a close ringer for him, right? Because, I mean... The Grand Inquisitor is a position, and like it's yes. not like Emperor Palpatine, where you you can't have turnover at the position. You could have turnover in the position of Grand it, Inquisitor. He just looks exactly like him, so it's confusing. If, if this guy looked like our friend Levi, and it was that visually distinct compared to the Grand Inquisitor in Rebels, I wouldn't be having a problem. I know again, the position survives the man, but it looks a hell of a lot like the guy in the Rebels. Agreed. They seem to cast it that way, and his voice sounds the same. Reva, who's in the gutter now? Obi-Wan then jumps in the transport. Whoop! They take off. Reva yells, You can't escape me, Obi-Wan! I will get you! Standing on the transport, looking up at the at the okay. ship. So Reva, yet again, showing limitations of her force ability, not able to pull the transport back. 
Um, Ray famously could do that. Yoda could do it. Luke could do it. So you could reach a certain level of force abilities where you could pull this transport well, right yeah. back if she wanted to. So I don't think she has. she's quite at that level. So we're getting kind of a sense of what her force abilities are. I mean, if we're correct that she is that little black girl Padawan that we saw in that flashback to the Order 66 Jedi Academy, what is she, 20? I mean, she looked like she was 10 there, and it's been 10 years since. Yeah, she's about 20. Yeah, Probably somewhere around there, yeah. Yeah, so uh, maybe she'll get there eventually, but there, there, we are seeing an upper bounds on, on her ability. Because if she had the ability to pull that transport back, she would have done so. So she clearly does not have the power to do that. Yep. Um, so cut to Obi-Wan's face. He's breathing uneven, shocked. Leia, what is it? Are you okay? We see Obi-Wan's face. He's got tears in his eyes. He says to himself, Anakin, and then... <laughs> we cut to... I know it's a, it's amazing. We cut to Darth Vader, Anakin Skywalker, himself, Aiden Christensen, Aiden Christensen in the back to tank, eyes full of absolute fury, oh, the yeah. angriest eyes you could possibly portray on the scene on the scene uh, the screen. This scene was awesome because oh, yeah. Darth Vader spends a lot, a lot, a lot of time in a back to tank. You think Boba Fett spent a lot of time in a back to tank and Book of Boba Fett? You know nothing. Sir, you know nothing, young Padawan. Yeah. Uh, he, Darth Vader spends a lot, a lot of time in the back to tank. Why? He's, well, no legs. Corpse, basically. No legs, one arm, severe burns all over his body. His lungs were completely burned on the inside because he breathed in the hot air from when he was on fire. So his lungs don't work. He also has massive organ failure, which is covered in some of the comics that results in him not being able to eat. Food is just in, like put into his stomach and then he, therefore removed he is more machine than man now as everyone once said and uh like liquid is removed before it gets to his kidneys because his kidneys don't work so this guy is fucked up so i hope i hope 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 in this series or in a follow-on series they show just exactly how much physic how how what a big deal it is physically to even get vader into the position that we see him in in episode four, five, and six. To even get him upright, walking, breathing through the apparatus, but standing amongst you and able to operate for a few hours without having to be in the back to tank is a really big deal. And the Emperor had to do a lot of work to get him there. So I hope they show that progression, but man, what a final fucking scene. The eyes of fury of Anakin Skywalker looking, knowing that they'd found Obi-Wan. Spencer, as much, as I, as much as I love the Padme references we got earlier, and that was a great scene, this moment is my moment of the episode. Because, dear Christ, I mean, it's Vader. It's the most iconic image we have in the Star Wars. And the way they set it up, that in the back to tank, the eyes, the ending with the sound of that classic Vader breathing, it's perfectly done. It's masterfully done. It had to be so goddamn hyped for the next episode. For an episode, episode that I, on the, on the whole, felt kind of middling about. Felt they could do a lot better for certain scenes on. Man, did they had a perfect way to end it. Yeah. All right. So, that is our recap. I think we should jump into best line of the episode. Spencer, do you have any nominees for best line of the episode? I got, I got a few. I thought, I thought, this, this, thought this episode had some good lines in it. Um, okay. I'll start with one. Master, if I ever needed your guidance, it is now. That's a good one, yeah. Uh, line from uh, Obi-Wan to the fake Jedi. You're a bottom feeder, a rat that preys on weakness. But in my experience, rats know more about the sewer than anyone else. How about this one? Uh, Grand Inquisitor, your ability gave you station, but all the power in the world can't mask the stench beneath. <laughs> that was a good one. I like that. Uh, 
Another line from the Grand Inquisitor. And remember, this is no ordinary Jedi. Kenobi is the last ember of a dying age. Extinguish him. Good line. Great line. Great line. That is up there. Leia, you, you really are a Jedi. Yeah, that's a great line. Uh, nothing. You remind me of someone. She was fearless, too, and stubborn. Um, was your friend a Jedi, too? No, she was a leader. She died long ago. It's a great line. So it's just steeped in painful nostalgia. Leia, I'm sorry. Kenobi, me too. Leia, not knowing that she's saying she's sorry for the death of her own mother. Uh, really, really interesting. Um, and I think the last uh, thing that we have here is you don't have to worry. You're not going to die today. I'm just going to take you to him. Lord Vader will be pleased. You didn't know. He's alive, Obi-Wan. Anakin Skywalker is alive. It's a wonderful line. The only thing I would basically put after it, it's not really a line, but the sound of Darth Vader breathing. I don't know if it's my nostalgic moment of the episode or one of my best favorite lines of the episode, but it's got to be up there in one of those categories. Well, I'm going to tell you the best line of the episode. It is... Drum roll. Best line of the episode, part two, Obi-Wan Kenobi is... Obi-Wan Kenobi. Nothing. You just remind me of someone. She was fearless, too. It's a great line. The Padme reference got it for me. If there was any line associated with the end scene with Vader, I mean, that might have been it, but it was it was silence. But yes, uh, him referencing Padme to Leia, her own mother, Leia not knowing it, hearing about her mother, getting that feedback that she is very similar to her mother, which she ends up being very similar to. She becomes a senator, right? She also becomes a de facto rebel leader, uh, someone fighting against Palpatine. She very much has a lot of parallels to Padme as the story progresses, and Ben mm -hmm. calls it, Obi-Wan calls it out right away. So that is our best line of the episode. Nostalgic moment of the episode, Spencer! You've already, you've already, you're not burying the lead here. You've already said what it is. I mean, we've had, we had a few minor ones before we even got there. We saw briefly uh, the Zabrak, Darth, uh, Darth Maul species, which is always fun to see them with the spiky heads. I think Obi-Wan even kind of accidentally like impales his hand when he punches one at some point there. Yep. Um, we reference to Kessel and Spice, always fun to see. I love the reference to the Imperial Senate. I feel like that's a nostalgic moment in terms of harkening back to the references we've seen before in both the prequels and in New Hope. Um, but the two winners, I, obviously the Padme reference is great. That's obviously yep. wonderfully nostalgic. And the Darth Vader reveal in the tank with the eyes, with the Hayden Christensen and the breathing, dear Christ, that, that what, what, what more nostalgic catnip can you get but that? Nostalgic moment of the episode is absolutely Darth Vader in the tank. It is the return of Hayden Christensen to the Star Wars universe. It is seeing Darth Vader completely without armor in the back to tank, which we did not get to see in episode four, five, and six. In episode five, I believe we got the uncovered for a second, from, from behind and then the helmet egg, comes yeah. back on. And then in episode six, we get the removal of the helmet right before he dies. We do not get fully without armor in episode four, five, or six. This is the first time we see that post Mustafar, which is super fucking cool. And I just love, love, love that Hayden Christensen is back. I would just want to, like, can we just take a second? Absolutely. Good job, Hayden Christensen. Good job. Good job, A, staying in shape enough to do this role, because you have to be fucking fit to be an ill man in a back to tank. And also, to come back to the Star Wars universe after all the bullying and hate that you got, it shows you're a bigger man. Shout out to Hayden Christensen. I'm giving him a round of applause here from Mangum Talks. Absolutely. I'm with it. I'm, I'm going to give credit both to what is physical acting in that scene and the quality of the filmmaking. They make a naked guy in a back to tank look outright scary. And yeah. Kudos. With, like, one limb. 
Yeah, with one, one limb. limb. If you take him out of there, he can't even. He can't get around. He's got to crawl. As you referenced, Darth Vader is ba- Darth Vader is basically representative of just how strong he is in the Force. That he's almost animating a corpse and keeping it going. That mix Pretty of much. just mechanical and dark Sith tech, dark Sith technology and dark Sith ability is keeping a zombie moving through much of this series. And also, and one they of the make things it look scary. And what you, they do, and one of the things that they and that, and shout out to the show for that. It's a really good point that like he actually does look scary in that tank. But uh, and I'm sure that the music and the and the breathing help with that and the nostalgia. But also, it is covered in the Darth Vader comics, which are really good. Exactly what a fucking process it is for him to live. I mean, like, yeah. and and also like one of the things I took from that is like he has no joy. Like not even like the joy of like a good sandwich. Like he doesn't get it. He has nothing. There's it no is. good, no joy in his fucking life at all. Period. It, it, it's one of those things where to reference, it's talking about a different dark Jedi, but it is that hate that keeps his aging body strong. That's just what he's running on now. Yep, hundred percent. There you go. That is our review of Obi Wan Kenobi Part Two. Sorry, I was a little late. We're a couple days late getting this out. Uh, we will be back with you in just a couple days for Episode Three. But before we wrap up here and I finish up with housekeeping, it looks like Spencer has one more thought for us. Sir, compare it to the prequels. You said we were gonna. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, it, it it so for me, it's like right in line with the start of maybe Revenge of the Sith, uh, where we're still in Coruscant and we're doing some like running around and like uh, Anakin loses his lightsaber for a minute. Um, it's kind of like that, but it's for certainly it's certainly within the quality of the prequels. Everything I have seen so far is movie level quality in my mind and it very much it could be episode three and a half on the big screen and again i found the episode a little bit disappointing but in terms of its themes in terms of representation in my mind it's almost like the prequels and rogue one had a love child in terms of what we get to see about the setting Mm -hmm. the themes the imagery it seems like it's drawing from both and i can kind of see that this actually worked fairly well Boy, you tickled my fancy there. The prequels in Rogue One had a love child. Holy fuck. Like, I don't know that you could describe something that would make me more excited. Whoa! I know I know what fan service you're writing later. I know, I know what fan fiction you're writing later. I love me some prequels. I loved Rogue One. Again, my, my favorite movies. My, my favorite Star Wars movies. Empire Strikes Back, Numero Uno, New Hope, Number Two, Revenge of the Sith 3, Rogue One 4. So I, I place those two movies very, very high up there. But yeah, I definitely think it's, it's on quality with the prequels. Uh, it looks like they spend about as much money as they did with fucking. Re- if anything, it looks a little better than the prequels because there's not so much CGI going on. They do a little bit more puppeting and stuff, um, which they've gotten into recently. Um, so I, I, I really like it so far. I'm, I'm really digging the series. Well, how excited are you then for episode three, which is already dropped, but we're going to review as soon as possible. Yeah, we're going to review that here in a few days. Hopefully we can be back with you maybe about Saturday afternoon with a new episode. That is our hope here. Again, we are just the common man. We don't do this for a living. We do this for fun. If you do enjoy this podcast, please rate and review us on your favorite podcast platform or go to mangumtalks.com. Drop us a line. Hit the upper right-hand corner, contact us, or dig into the episode and leave a comment. We love to hear feedback from our listeners. We do this uh, because we enjoy talking about Star Wars, we were going to do that anyway, but we record it and take the time to put it out in the ether because we think that it can maybe bring a little bit of joy to somebody else. And that is what we're trying to do. So if you're enjoying it, let us know. We will be back with you with a review of Obi-Wan Kenobi, Episode 3 in a few days. Until then, see ya!